Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning on this last Sunday of July. Hard to believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, but also if you are following along, chapter 1. I want to make a reference in chapter 1 as well as chapter 13 this morning. While you're turning there, finding your place, a couple of things. First of all, a reminder that on Sunday, September the 12th, the Oasis goes to two services on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock a.m. and 11 a.m. will be our two service times the Sunday after Labor Day weekend, so that's Sunday, September 12th. Keep that in mind. We're going to be, we have been, and we will be continuing to prepare as a church to make that transition in a couple of weeks. Um, also, two weeks from today, we will be starting a new sermon series on Sunday morning on August the 8th called Made to Multiply. If you've been with us throughout the late spring and through the summer, you know that we started out in 2 Peter with a series called Made to Mature, how God saved us to grow us, how salvation is not the end, it is the beginning of a life of growth, of Christian growth and maturity with God. So God made us to mature. Then we're in 2 Corinthians where we are reminded that he also made us to minister, that we are also saved to serve him, that from the time we are born-again Christians, we are to enter into serving the Lord in some way and in some capacity, that we are going to serve him not only here on earth, we're going to serve with him throughout his millennial kingdom on earth, and we are going to serve him throughout eternity. So learning to be a servant and what that looks like is very important. Well, then we're also made to multiply. And uh, that's just another word for discipleship. God saves us so that we can make an impact and be an influence on other Christians' lives as well. And just as Timothy had a Paul and Paul had a Timothy, God wants each one of us to have Pauls and Timothys and even Barnabases in our life. And we're going to be talking about that beginning on Sunday, August the 8th, as we get into the book of 2 Timothy, looking at made to multiply. But this morning, we're going to be looking at our last message on made to minister. And at the end of the service today, we are going to offer an anointing to any one of you who want to come and be anointed into the service of the Lord. Maybe you're already serving the Lord and you're just looking at this as sort of a recommissioning. Because before we get into 2 Corinthians 13 this morning, I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verses 21 and 22 with me this morning. Why anointing? Well, Paul even mentions that here in the book of 2 Corinthians, way back in our first message. He says, but it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ and who anointed us, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. What is anointing? Anointing is... Being commissioned into service, that's one aspect of anointing. 
In other words, it is the awareness, it is the recognition that God is calling me into a particular place of service. I know this is where God wants me to serve in this season. And that I know that because God is leading me into this, that God is going to be with me. So as we anoint people, what it is really symbolic of and picturing is that God is with you as you serve him. It is a way for you as one of his servants to be affirmed, to be confirmed that the Lord is with you. And we're going to talk more about that in our message this morning. Think of it this way. Picture it as sort of God behind you and putting his hands literally on your shoulders and saying, I've got you. I'm behind you. I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to do everything that I can do as you are serving me, but I've got you and I'm with you, okay? And that you literally sense the presence of God upon you as you serve. That's why we offer anointing this morning at the end of this series. So with that in mind, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, the last chapter of this great book. And what we're going to look at this morning, and I think Paul ends this book obviously in such a a great way, is we want to talk about the fingerprints of God, okay? And when I talk about the fingerprints of God, I'm talking about the fingerprints of God upon your life individually and upon us as a church. See, I think God wants to have his fingerprints, if you will, on our lives, and he wants to have his fingerprints upon his churches, And and what I mean by that is simply that there there are evidences, clear evidences that God is there, that he is present, that he is moving, that he is working, that he's working in and through. That's what we mean by the fingerprints, okay? Every once in a while, I'll share with somebody, the fingerprints of God are upon your life. I can see God in and through you. I I know that he is with you as you're doing this, as you're serving, as you're... I mean, there are just certain Christians that we, as we observe them, carry out their service. We just know God is with that person. You saw this throughout the Bible where people would come away from doing something or serving the Lord. And there were others who said, God is with that person. The, The fingerprints of God are upon them. So here Paul is going to say, if the fingerprints of God are upon us, then what are those evidences? Now, before we get to those this morning, again, a little bit of background here. If you're new here or this is your first message in this series or whatever, Paul is not defending himself personally throughout this letter. He is defending his apostleship. God still wants him to have a role to play in the church at Corinth. God still wants him to have influence and to be able to speak into the lives of this church. And yet there's a group of people who've come into the church at Corinth who have sought to undermine his ministry in that church and to diminish his role in that church. 
And Paul is simply wanting to say, God still wants me to speak into your life and be an influence here. And so that's why Paul says many of the things that he does in the way that he does. And so I want to pick it up in chapter 13, just reading a couple of the first verses. So Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to visit you. By the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established when I get there. I said before when I was present a second time, and now, though absent, I say again to those who sinned previously and to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. In other words, I'm going to do what is necessary to do as an apostle of Jesus Christ in your midst. Since, and here's where I want us to get to, first of all, since you are demanding proof, evidence, in a sense, proof that the fingerprints of God are on me and my ministry, that Christ is speaking through me, okay? That's why I'm talking here about evidences or the fingerprints of God. Now, notice Paul turns this right around. He says, you're demanding to see if there's the fingerprints of God on my life and my service and my ministry. I'm going to turn the tables right around on you. Look at verse 5. He says, put yourselves to the test to see if you are even in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize regarding yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test, unless there's no clear proof or evidence that you're a true Christian, you see. I want you to zero in on that word proof, because that's really what we're starting here with. Is there evidence in our life? Is there evidence in this church that God is here, that he is with us, that he is manifesting himself, that he's working, that he's moving? There should always be proof and evidences that God is doing that in every church. And there should be evidence and proof and the fingerprints of God upon every true Christian's life. There should be evidence that not only are we saved, but that we're walking with God, we're doing what God's will is, and God is clearly with us as we're doing it because people are seeing that that's not them that's doing it, that's God that's working through them. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so all of us should, as Paul said, examine ourselves. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. Anybody can confess and say, oh, I'm a Christian. You know, I accepted Christ. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Where's that clear fingerprints of God upon your life, you see? And as a church, churches can pop up all over the place. You and I know that from living here. There's churches on every corner. Is there the fingerprints of God in those churches? Just because there's an edifice or a building doesn't mean God is clearly manifesting himself in that place, that he's that his presence is there, that he's blessing, that he's moving, and that he's working the fingerprints of God. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list that Paul's sharing with us here in 2 Corinthians 13, but it's a good jumping-off point 
to begin the conversation. And the first fingerprint or evidence or proof that God is with us both individually and as a church is the power of God will be present. The power of God will be present. Notice what he says in verse 3. Since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak toward you, but is powerful among you. He's mighty among you. God is flexing his muscles, if you will, in your midst. His power is very evident in your midst. Notice he goes on to even use Jesus as an example. He says, indeed, Jesus was crucified by reason of weakness, the appearance of weakness. In other words, it looked outwardly like you're the Lord of glory. You're the son of God, and you're allowing all these people to treat you this way, and you have the power to do something about it, and you're not. You remember the religious leaders of Israel who strolled by the cross and looked up and mocked Jesus and said, he saved others, but himself he cannot save. Where's your power, Jesus? So it looked like weakness. But Paul's saying, oh, it was anything but weakness. You see, Jesus had a strength greater than any strength we can imagine because his strength was being committed to the will of his Father, even death on a cross, which is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. He says, he, Jesus, though he was the Lord of glory, he became obedient even unto death, death on a cross. That took strength to know that I have the power. I created everyone who's putting me to death. I could totally get rid of them. I'd vaporize them in a second with a word. But I chose restraint because choosing restraint many times is greater power than exhibiting the power. So many Christians need to learn that today in our society. Being more like Jesus, you see. And Jesus showed such strength in his commitment to his Father's will. So Paul says, indeed, he was crucified by reason of weakness, but he lives because of God's power. And God's power could not be put in a grave. God's power could not die. God's power could not be shut up. Jesus Christ was going to rise from the dead forevermore. So he says, we also, we could look weak in him, but we will live together with him because of God's power toward you. And when Paul speaks of God's power being one of the fingerprints of God, one of the proofs or evidences of God in our life, Paul's saying that God will give us the ability to live for him and to do whatever he's asking us to do. And we need to keep that in mind as we serve him. God never expects us as his people to serve him in our own strength or through our own strength, but only through the strength that he gives us. And it's through other people seeing his power, not our power, that the fingerprints of God begin to be very evident in our lives and in the life of our church. See, God wants churches that are, that are full of his power full of people of power. People like Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's no such thing in the Christian vocabulary as I can't. It might be I will not, but it's not I can't because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
The book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus said, but you shall receive power, power from me when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, under Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Because when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life, you will have a power of God pulsating through your being. In fact, Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1, he says, I want you to know the incomparable greatness of God's power toward you as believers and towards the church in Ephesus. He said it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he said that power should be evident in your fellowship, in your community of believers. It should be evident in all of your lives. The power of God is one of the fingerprints of God in our lives. So Paul is saying, Anyone can claim to be a Christian. Anyone can claim to have God's power in their life. But Paul's saying, show me the proof. Show me the evidence. Where's the fingerprints of God? Are we living by God's power or our power? Are we as a church exhibiting the power of God? Are we believing and having faith and trusting in a power, a power that, that can do anything. There's nothing too hard or too difficult for God. Do we believe that as a church? Do we believe that his power is sufficient and can carry us in and through anything, that his power will enable us to do whatever he's asking us to do, that his power is limitless, that it is unstoppable, that there's no greater power than the power of God, and you and I have that power. So Paul says the first fingerprint is the power of God. The second fingerprint is the priming of God. The priming of God. Verse 7, I'll pick it up there. Now we pray to God that you may not do anything wrong, not so that we may appear to have passed the test, but so that you may do what is right, even if we may appear to have failed the test. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the sake of the truth. For we rejoice whenever we are weak, in other words, the great apostle was willing to appear weak if by his weakness the believers in Corinth could become stronger and more mature. So he says, we rejoice whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And we pray for this, that you may become fully qualified. That phrase, become fully qualified, is where I get the idea of God priming us. It simply means to make one ready and willing for whatever lies ahead. It speaks about being prepared by God, equipped by God, strengthened by God, primed. You see, when you and I are living with the fingerprints of God on our life, God, we know then, is preparing us for whatever is ahead, whatever lies in the future. And we don't know what the future holds, but God does. And we can trust God that whatever he knows is lying ahead for each of us individually and for us as a church, that he is taking us through a preparation where we can feel very equipped rather than ill-equipped. You know, many Christians feel very ill-equipped. And they don't have to feel that way. Because if they'll just 
get in line with God's program for their life, they will realize that God will lead them to the preparation, to the strengthening, to the equipping, the training that they need in order to do whatever he's going to ask them to do or whatever they need to do for whatever happens. The priming of God. Let me give you a biblical example. Think about David. And not when he was king. I'm talking about the little shepherd boy, right? And remember that day when he walked into the camp of Israel and his brothers were the soldiers there as part of the encampment of Israel? And David heard that there was this giant that had the gall to go out to them and basically mock their God and mock them and challenge them. And David looks around and goes, isn't anybody ready and willing to go out and face the giant? And this young boy was appalled that there was no soldiers in Israel that were primed and ready and willing to go out and face the giant. And David goes, I'll go. Was he crazy? No. He had been primed by God. Remember what David said to them? He said, when I was this shepherd boy out there by myself and nobody was looking, there were times where I came across a bear who threatened the sheep or a lion who threatened the sheep, and God helped me to overcome the lion and the bear. And if God can help me to overcome the lion and the bear, this giant's nothing. See, he had been primed. He, he had put himself in a place, even though no one else could see it, where God had worked in his life and where this young man was ready to face his giant. And when you and I live that way, then we can walk in confidence and we can have calm composure no matter what we are facing because we realize that every step of our life, God is priming us for what lies ahead that he will prepare us, that we will never have to feel ill-equipped, that we will never have to feel as a Christian deficient or lacking in anything because the Lord is with us and he has prepared us for what we are to face. So there's the power of God that is evidence of his fingerprint. There is the priming of God now I want to talk for a few moments to us as a church about the priorities of God. And even though Paul is talking to the church, and they need to be the priorities of us as a church, they can also be our own individual priorities as well, if you want to apply this message to you just individually or personally. And we see what the priorities of God are that are evidence of his fingerprints beginning in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 13. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, set things right, be encouraged, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Let's talk about each of these, the priorities of God for his people. First, rejoice, be glad. God wants his people to be a church filled with people who say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord and let's worship God. 
Let's lift up our voices in praise. Let's exalt him. Let's worship him. Let's be a rejoicing people. Paul said to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, if you missed it the first time, he said, again, I say, rejoice. Are we a rejoicing people? As I've said to you before, some of you need to get on board with worship here at the Oasis. Because guess what? You're going to be rejoicing all eternity. You're going to be exalting the Lord. You're going to be praising. You're going to be singing. It's part of what the priorities of God are for us as a people. is to be a rejoicing people. Also, set things right simply speaks about restoration and renewal. He wants his church to be a rejoicing church. He also wants his church to be a place of restoration and renewal for us as the people of God. That we can come into this place, and in a sense, God can bring a healing to us through our fellowship with him and our worship of him and our time in the word together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that God can heal us of our spiritual wounds and our emotional wounds and even us physically. I still believe in a God who heals and who restores and who sets things right. In fact, these words were used in Bible times by people like Peter and Andrew who were fishermen when they would mend their nets, that after a time they'd get holes in their nets that the fish obviously could get through, and they had to spend some time restoring and renewing their nets and, and, and taking time to, to repair the holes so that the nets worked properly, so that they were in proper working condition. That's what these words mean. It means getting someone to a fitted condition, getting them back to proper working order. God wants to see that kind of atmosphere and environment amongst his people. Whereas we come in, we can come to a place of, of refuge and where we know that as we come here and as we're faithful to the house of God and we, we gain what God is giving us through our worship time and through our time in the word, we can be restored and we can be renewed. It's one of the priorities of God. Another be encouraged. This simply speaks about being willing to receive encouragement and to be refreshed. Especially if you're taking notes and you want to stay with the R's, then stay with them like I did. Rejoicing, restoration and renewal, and third, refreshment. God wants his church to be a place where the people of God can come and be refreshed. In fact, for those of you that have been with us in this church and with me over the years, you know that that's the very reason why I named this church the name that it is, the Oasis. Because God said, I want this church that I am planting here in Gilbert, Arizona, to literally be, not just figuratively, to literally be an oasis in the desert. I want it to be a place where the people of God can come and be able to take deep breaths and, and be able to have a place where they feel they're refreshed 
from being out in the world and, and being drained and maybe beat up and sapped and all of that, and where they can come in and they've got this living water that God gives us through worship of him and through his word, and we can truly be refreshed and encouraged through our fellowship. It's one of the priorities of God. It's one of the ways we know God's fingerprints are on us. When we are a church that's wanting to rejoice, when we are a church that wants to have renewal and, and restoration happen, and where we want to be a church of refreshment to others. Then he says this, agree with one another. It means to value and cherish the same things. Here's the R word I would use, rapport. God wants to see that his people have a rapport with each other that we're getting along with each other, that we're not allowing the things that could divide us to divide us, and we're staying focused on the big picture and on the big things, the things that really matter, and not allowing the things that really don't matter and won't matter in eternity to drive us apart and to drive a wedge between us. Because we know that that's Satan's plan, even for the people of God. And we many times as the people of God get sucked into the plan of Satan. Instead of staying unified and developing that rapport. Rapport also speaks to me about not only loving each other in the Lord, but liking each other too. Because we all know there are people that we love but don't like very much. And I think God, through that supernatural agape love that he pours into our life through the Holy Spirit, we can get to a point in our life where we can just develop a rapport with more and more people and get along and, and work together. That's what God wants to see in his body. Now, I realize it's not all on us. That's why the Bible says, as much as it lies with you, live peaceably with all people. But there might be some relationships that you have in your life that no matter how hard you try, then my advice to you is then keep your distance. Put up healthy boundaries. You don't need to keep going back taking that. You've tried. Then it's okay. But for the most part, when you and I live with the fingerprints of God on our life, we're going to get along with each other because we're going to realize that we're all on the same team and we're fighting the same enemy and that we're here for a much greater purpose than just our own, you know, selfish agendas and, and how it affects us. And so we lay self aside and we die to self and we take up our cross and we're working together for the glory of Christ and for the impact that Christ can make in other people's lives. That's one of the fingerprints. And then finally, Live in peace. Now again, this might seem redundant, but it's really not. It, it means to cultivate an environment of peace. And how do we do that? By resting in God. That's the final R word here. Resting in God. Rejoicing, restoration and renewal, refreshment, rapport, and resting in God. These are the priorities of God. God wants us to rest and to learn to rest in him, to realize that he can be trusted totally. I think that's what 
That great verse in Psalm 46, verse 10 means when it says, be still, God says to his people, and know that I'm God. You can be still. You, you don't have to be all churned up and agitated and, and your insides going a million miles an hour or your, your brain going a million miles an hour. You can learn to shut off because you can trust me. Rest in me. See, it's one thing for us to have a relationship with God. It's a whole other thing to learn to rest in him. And there are many Christians today that are having a hard time getting to that place. But I'm telling you, nothing could display the fingerprints or proof or evidence of God in our life and in our life as a church when other people observe, how can they be at rest? Look at the world. The world's in turmoil. The world's in chaos. The world, yeah, the, and even Christians, they go around and they, they allow the world and what's happening. And I'm like, then you're not resting in God. You're using the world as your cue for your rest, and that's never to be our rest. Our rest is always to be in the person of God, not in what's happening in the world. Jesus even said, in the world you're going to have trouble and suffering. Be of good courage. I overcame the world. And we need Christians who are willing to overcome the world by resting in God and not getting so torqued and upset about what's happening in the world. We know the way of the world. We saw it Wednesday in our study of Revelation. The world and all that the world is about is passing away, but the person who does the will of God is the one who remains forever. Rest in God. The priorities of God. Which leads to one final fingerprint, the one we've been really talking about and moving towards this whole message, and that is the presence of God. The presence of God. Knowing that God is with us. Yes, there will be the power of God. That's one. There will be the priming of God, and there will be the priorities of God, but there's nothing that so identifies us as a church and as individuals that God is with us like his palpable presence being manifested. Notice verse 11 and 12 and 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Set things right. Be encouraged. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace, here it is, will be what? With you. You say, wait a minute. Isn't God always with us? Absolutely. God, in fact, is omnipresent. He's always everywhere we are. Then why does the Bible sort of differentiate God's presence always being with us and God really being with us, because that's the difference, is, yes, God's always with us, but God's not always visibly manifesting himself in and through us. He, he's not working and moving and blessing and favoring to where others can see, my goodness, God's with them. See, it's not just even us getting to a place where we know that God is with us. It's where we're walking in such a way with God and such a way as a church where other people see God's with them. In fact, look at verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss simply means express your love and affection for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in a proper way. All the saints greet you. By the way, I think we have a great church that is very loving and warm and welcoming, but we can always do more and we can always do better. 
And we've got to keep that in mind as we move to two services and God begins to even more people in. That this needs to be a place where they feel loved and welcomed, where they feel important and valued, because we want to feel that way too. And we need to always maintain that kind of atmosphere and environment here at the Oasis Church if God's fingerprints are going to be on our ministry. Verse 13, notice the whole trinity here. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship or partnership of the Holy Spirit, here it is, be with you all. That the whole trinity will manifest themselves in your midst in Corinth. Paul says that's when you know the fingerprints of God are on your church. That's when you know as an individual that the fingerprints of God are on you. When the presence of God is so real in your life that you sense it and other people sense it too. And we all know that to be true. Because I've heard from many people who visit our church who have been to other churches and not that we're the only church. Please, that's not true. But I have heard them say, you can sense that God is here. Can I tell you, as the pastor of this church, that's it for me. If, if, if people can sense God is here, that means he's pleased with what we're doing and, and where we're going, not that we're perfect by a far stretch, but that his blessing and favor and fingerprints are on because he's manifesting his presence in such a real way that his presence can be felt. It can be felt through our worship. It can be felt through our time in the Word. It can be felt through our interaction with each other. We know God is here, and that is so essential and vital. In fact, without His presence, we might as well not even attend and be here. Because then we're just going through the motions of just attending church and just checking off a box on Sunday rather than really engaging with God at the level God wants us to engage and experience him. He wants us to know he is with us. Not just he's around, because he's God. In fact, turn back to the book of 1 Corinthians for just a second. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 14. This is an amazing declaration. And... I'm just going to reference verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 14. But let me set a little bit of the stage. Paul's talking to the very same church, the church at Corinth here in 1 Corinthians, about the priorities that they should have as a church. Here, specifically about their gifts and how they're using the gifts and all of that. And he's basically saying the same thing to them here in this passage that he's trying to end with in 2 Corinthians is, guys, you, gals, you've got to have the fingerprints of God upon your ministry. Because if you do, the presence of God will be manifested in such a way that you'll not only sense it as the people of God, but notice what Paul's saying here, that even an unbeliever, even someone that doesn't have a relationship with Christ can come into your church, a church that is manifesting the fingerprints of God, and that they can even tell God's here. Notice what he says in verse 25. The secrets of this person's heart, an unbeliever, will be disclosed. God will begin to work on his heart, even in your presence. And in this way, he will fall down with his face to the ground and worship God, declaring, 
God is really among you. This is the declaration of an unbeliever at that point, of somebody that doesn't even know God. And Paul's saying, God's presence can be so powerfully felt in a church, in our lives, that other people, including people that don't even know God yet, can say there's something different there. God is there. God is working. God is moving. God is stirring hearts. God is healing. God is encouraging. God is refreshing. God is renewing. God is restoring. But it's God who's doing it. And that's what God wants in all of our lives. As we live for him, and especially as we serve him, God wants us to know that his hands are literally on our shoulders, that his fingerprints, his, his hands are all over our lives and our service to where other people, including ourselves, can be encouraged by his power and his priming and his priorities and his presence being evidenced in and through our lives. And God wants you to know today that as some of you may step up and step out into service today or continue the service that you're already doing, God wants you more than anything else to know, I'm with you. Because, man, when you know God is with you, you can face anything, just like David did. But let me give you one final biblical example. In the Old Testament book of Genesis, Joseph. We all know the story of Joseph, right? betrayed by his brothers and thrown into the pit. Then he finally gets to Egypt, and then he's unjustly accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, and so he's thrown into prison. And it just seems like the dream that God gave him is never going to happen because all of us who have dreams from God go through, I think, a season of the death of our dreams. It's like it's never going to go, it's never going to happen that way. You and I have to continue to endure and persevere because God may take us through the pits and the prisons, but God always has in mind to exalt us just like he did Joseph. Don't give up on your dream. And, and what we see, if you read about Joseph's life, is there's a recurring phrase throughout the story of Joseph. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him when he was in the pit. The Lord was with him when he was chained and taken to Egypt. The Lord was with him in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him in the prison. The Lord was with him every step of the way. And other people knew that God was with him. They saw evidence of it even in Joseph's life while he was in prison. They knew something was different about him because Joseph was learning something very important. When you and I have the fingerprints of God on us and God is with us, it doesn't matter where God puts us, we will serve and glorify him. It doesn't matter whether God wants us in a pit. It doesn't matter whether God allows us to go to prison. It doesn't matter if God has us exalted to the second highest position on earth at that point. Potiphar's right-hand man. It doesn't matter. When God's fingerprints are on you, you and I can serve God anywhere doing anything. And that's where God wants us all to get to. So right now, I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And they're going to prepare for our song. And I'm going to ask all of you 
to consider coming and being anointed if God is leading you to do it. Some of you may come today and say, God is leading me to step in or step up into a new service for him. And I just want to know by this symbolic act of, of the oil being placed upon my forehead that God is with me, that, that his hands are on, on me, if you will, that, that the fingerprints of God are on me. Maybe you're here today and say, I've been serving the Lord, but I, but I want to be recommissioned, if you will, and reconsecrate myself into that service for the Lord. Then you come too. Just like we rebaptize people, you can be recommissioned through anointing as well. All I ask is this. If you are coming today to be anointed, would you please come into the center here? I'll, I'll anoint you here, and then you can go back to your seat and, and continue worshiping the Lord with the rest of us this, this morning. So would you stand? I'm going to close in prayer, and then I will meet any of you that want to be anointed down front here. Father God, we thank you that you are willing to place your hands upon your people, that you are willing, God, to have your fingerprints on our lives, that you are willing to manifest yourself in such a real way that not only do we sense it, God, but other people can sense it too, that we can sense your power is here, your priming is here, your priorities are a part of us, and God, your presence is here. God, for those that want to come and be anointed today, would you affirm them, God, as only you can do? Would you confirm your calling and commissioning upon them as they serve you, God? Would they leave this place truly knowing that you are with them and there's no one or nothing that can stand in their way? Whatever giants they face, God, they can face them because you're with them. So, God, would you use this time, and even for those that do not come to be anointed, God, would you make this a very special time in your house today? Would this be a time, God, of you continuing to prime your people, to prepare us, to equip us, to strengthen us for whatever we have that's coming? Because, God, we know that we don't know what the future holds, but we know the God who does. And we trust you, God, to prepare us for whatever's coming in our world, in our lives, for us as a church. God, you've got us. And so, God, we thank you that we can trust you completely. Go with us, Lord, through our worship time. May we lift up our hearts and our voices to you, God. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.